Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Um, I don't get to do this very often, so bear with me. I, uh, the goal is for the Lord to be glorified. And so I hope that as God uses me, there's something there for you. That's my hope. So, last week, uh, Pastor Brandon shared on the importance of the church living out one another commands. Do you guys remember that? So, what happened was, he passed that baton to me, and so the topic today is kind of similar. So, I'm taking and moving forward. The key verse that uh, Brandon was using last week was John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And so I invite you to join me to read this passage, these two verses. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's a lot there. That's our passion. That should be our goal. And notice there's a promise there. If we love one another, then... All people will know that we are his disciples. Do you want people to know Christ? It starts by loving one another, and we aren't always doing a good job at that. So I would encourage you to pray about that. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm going to turn to mine. I have it printed, but I think I'm going to go to First Thessalonians chapter 1. So, if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, in steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord 
For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you came, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And Lord God Almighty, I pray today that you would touch the hearts of people here. Holy Spirit, fill us that we would understand what you have for us today. There's so much here. Make it clear to us, I pray. Lord, I also want to pray briefly for Brandon, just that you would restore his health, that he would be well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So you might ask, why does Paul write? I'm going to have you read again. <laughs> why does Paul write this letter to the Thessalonians. So we need to look at Acts 17, 1 through 10, because this is the explanation we need to see in order to understand why Paul is motivated to write this letter, the letter of 1 Thessalonians. So we are going to go back to the word, and we're going to look at Acts 17, 1 through 10. So... If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Acts 17, 1 through 10. Okay, make sure I'm staying on time. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So there is something to be said about reasoning with people from the scriptures. Explaining and providing that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city on the uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, have now come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Here's the point. Paul was taken away. He went to Thessalonica. People listened, but 
but they were causing problems. It caused such an uproar that they had to actually grab them and get them out of there. So after three weeks, Paul was pulled away from the Thessalonian church. He wanted to go back, but he couldn't. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, you don't have to turn there if you don't want. He said this, for we wanted to come to you. Indeed, I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan obstructed us. That's the, the situation. So what's he going to do? Because he feels like his job is not done. Think about it. Three weeks. Like, what do I do now? So that's why First Thessalonians was written. It was written in response to a situation where he felt moved by God that, okay, I got to finish this job here. I'm not done. I got to say something more. That's the impression I get. So now let's take a look at what the letter says. So follow along with me. We're in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. So who's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy? Well, they're well known. They got famous because they wanted them out of Thessalonica. And we see that in Acts 17, 6. And Paul was a persecutor of the church until the Lord intervened. Silvanus was well known and was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And Timothy was raised in a God-fearing home and he believed the gospel and joins Paul. So what these men have in common is simply this, that they were called by God and they were called to share his message. Next point. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is very simple, but I felt like it was important to emphasize. Church. In the Greek, it means ecclesia. And the Latin world calls it iglesia, you know, those who speak Spanish. Church, by definition, means called out once. Hey, you! That's an example of being called out. So these, this letter is to those who have been called out out by God. So let's put it this way. It's a letter to the church. No, let's replace it. It's a letter to called out ones of Thessalonica. He's remembering what happened, how people were changed, and he's writing a letter to them, the called out ones. Question Has God called you out? And notice, Paul goes on to describe what it means to be a called out one. They're described as being in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's in? Well, there's two locations. You can either be in the house or out of the house. 
So the called out ones are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a position. So when Paul is writing this letter, he's saying, I'm going to describe what this is. It's not of, it's, it's in. So what comes to your mind when you think of in? It's that you're not separate from God, right? You're in. Do you feel united to God in that way? That's what Paul's saying about the church. Are you in him? So let's take a look at some references. There's tons of them, but I'm sharing these with you. John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The person who loves God, they've heard the word, they keep the word, God sees them and he says, I'm going to come to that person. I'm going to be with him. Colossians 3, 4. I don't know if it's coming up. Oh, great, thank you. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What? Christ is your life. Have you thought about that? He is your life. If you don't see him like that, maybe you're not a believer. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus. At the point of faith, when you believe, God makes a decision and sees you through Christ. So when the father sees a believer, he sees his son. So we can say that the church represents a union between God and man. Do you, do we see ourselves that way? When you think of the church, it's called out ones, and call out ones are described as those people who have a union with who? God. Think about that. What a privilege. It's tremendous. We're going to go on to the next point. Notice the greeting. So we're still on verse one. You know, I, I'm thinking and I realize, how in the world was I going to do 10 verses in the first chapter of Thessalonians because I'm overwhelmed by words. I can't get very far. So this was a, a, a feat. There was so much to, you know, to choose from. What can I say? Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, ah, pulling your hair out. Uh, but anyway, so this is my efforts, okay? So the church represents a union between God and man, and do we see ourselves this way? 
But notice now the greeting. Notice what Paul says. Grace and peace to you. Grace. That's unmerited favor. Peace to you. And it's tranquility to you. I like to use this example. Um, in Spanish, uh, grace is gracias or gracia. And I'm sure some of you know a little bit of Spanish. And so when someone gives you something, what do you say in Spanish? Muchas gracias. Thank you. You receive a gift and you go, thank you. Gracias. Grace is a gift. Grace is a favor. You didn't do anything. So when Paul says grace and peace, it's unmerited favor. It's something free. And God says, you know what? That's what I want for you. Now notice, this greeting is given to the church, to the called out ones. Not, not to someone else. Yes, there's blessings that we can give to unbeliever, but you know what? It's for the church. Let's bring it, take it from the top. The called out ones are in God. And they're divine, divinely favored. That's the church. Elected by God, called by God, are in God, and they're divinely favored. How should that make you feel? Now, that's an emotion. But what courage can we have? If God is for us, who could stand against us? You know what? God plays favorites. Do you believe that? It's tremendous. See, God sees the church as precious. It's a treasure to him. Let's move on. We're going now to verse 2 through 5. Okay. I can get going here. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The first point, we give... Thanks to God always for you. I'm going to grab something here for a second as a point of reference. Ah, here we go. So why would they give thanks to God for the Thessalonians? Why would they give thanks to God for the Thessalonians? Well, something's happened, don't you think? I want to bring to your attention a couple of verses and then we'll answer that question. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They were excited. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. What? What are you saying, Pat? The gospel produces a response. There's rejoicing going on. 
God has achieved something there. So, God's work, people rejoicing. Luke 15.10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hebrews 12, verse 2a, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God's doing something. He's the author. Acts 2, 47b, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Back to the point. Why would they give thanks to God for them? Because they recognize that God has accomplished something. They're excited. They have every reason to thank God because they see his hand. And we're reminded that any time someone is saved, it's a time of celebration. Constantly mention you in prayers. They're not going to stop praying. Why? The church just came into being. They're at risk. That's a reason to pray for them. They were gone after three weeks. Ephesians 6, 8. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and with all perseverance making supplication to all the saints. We're called to pray for each other. The prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 23, far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Church, do you know that it's a sin not to pray for each other? So the church was new. They're at risk. We're called to pray and it's a sin when we don't pray. Now notice what they were constantly praying for. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Well, what's the work of faith? It's doing things that you feel convicted about that you should do. Labor of love is actions motivated by God's love. Their steadfastness of hope is an expression of faith, as in, I am staying put. It's the idea of standing firm in a position of conviction. They're convinced by what God has said, and therefore, they're not moving. That is what Paul and his followers, his partners are praying for. So is it important to pray for other things? Yes. But in this instance, what's important to take note of is that, hey, I want to pray for their work of faith, what they're doing by their conviction, their labor of love, the actions motivated by God's love. Their steadfastness of hope, which is standing firm, 
not moving. You want to pray for that. You really want to pray for people's faith. That's a really important thing to do because each one of us is tested. Now, hope is a confident expectation. It comes from believing what God says. I kind of backtracked a little, but the idea of hope is it's an expression of faith. I want to stay there for a minute. Hope is an expression of, of faith. Let's give you an example. I'll give you this example. So um, yesterday, um, I told the kids, okay, after dinner, I'll give you a smoothie. They heard that. We finished dinner, and about a minute later, they go, so you're going to give us a smoothie? Okay, so they listened to what I had to say, They knew who I am, so they could trust me. And they're thinking about it. And then they took me to my word and said, hey, <laughs> are you going to give us that smoothie? So they believed what I said. That's faith. And then hope. They said, what's going to happen? He said so. Make sense? So we do need to be praying for the faith of others. Chosen of God. I, again, I'm overwhelmed. So I realize that we have limited time. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on that last day. You got to realize that it is God who brings about salvation, not you. Notice verse 5 again. Notice what Paul says. Because our gospel came to you not only by word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. This is God's work. John 16, 18, 8 says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. God does that. Words are not enough. The Holy Spirit must be there convicting in the person's heart. So the Thessalonians heard the message and they united it with faith, they responded with full conviction. There is such a thing as hearing something, but there is no faith. And notice in Hebrews 4.2, it says, for good news came to them, or to us, just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The Thessalonians had faith in what they heard. I want to take a look at the topic of you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
do you know that there's an important aspect to our own personal testimony? Dear church, it matters how we live our life before others. God uses our testimony as part of bringing people to himself. Your life matters. People are watching us. And this calls us to be prepared. Do you believe God is using you to bring people to his his kingdom? So my challenge to each one of us is to be prepared. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, but in your heart honor Christ as Lord, as holy. There's a priority of focusing on Christ. Always being prepared to make a defense. That means knowledge. Who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Christ first. Be prepared to give an answer. But there is also a posture, an attitude of mind of gentleness and respect. You're talking to people. Second Timothy 2, 20 and 21 Now in a great house there's not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So there is something you can do to be ready for the good work. So in this section, we see that what God used, he used his word, the Holy Spirit, and the believer's testimony. You could look at verse five and look at it again. It says that right there. It was, comes with the power of the Holy Spirit, full conviction, and when Paul says, you know what kind of men we proved to be. If he says, you know what kind of men we proved to be, they're watching. So have you ever thought about that? That people are watching? The faith of the church has full conviction. Hebrews 11.1 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Dear church, do you have that? Are you certain of what you do not see? Are you fully convinced about God's promises? Do you believe in the gospel message? And notice, Here's what happens when there is full conviction. Paul describes it in verses 6 through 10. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. Full conviction means that you're going to go and do and be a certain way. For you received the word in much affliction. You know what that means? They were not comfortable. There was persecution but it didn't matter. So that you became examples for all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You know what? When you've been touched by the word of God, things change. 
The Thessalonian Jews and the many devout Greeks who believed the gospel had an obvious response. Everything changed. It didn't matter anymore because they believed what God had said. What joy and what rest, what confidence. They believed the gospel was true. They couldn't go back. They had full conviction. It was a settled matter. There was no turning back. They were persuaded. And what happens is, when you're fully persuaded, you can't help but be a certain way. You're going to share the word. You're fully convinced. And you want people to know. Are we that way? Do people know our faith? Do we want people to know the good news? Have they heard our message? I would say that we've heard that message and that's why you're here. There's an aspect of understanding that we all have and we believe and we receive Christ, but there's another aspect, and I'm finding this more and more as time goes on, is that many of us have a difficult time actually verbalizing our faith. Do you know what to say? I, I would propose to you that if you don't, or if it's hard for you, work on that so that you can communicate effectively. Paul himself prayed for that, that he would speak clearly and effectively. So there is this understanding that I, I know what I believe, but I, I, I need to be, make sure that I know how to communicate it. There is a responsibility. There is a need for preparation. Are we looking forward to the Lord's return? It speaks of that in uh, this section. It describes part of the faith expression. Or is our attention on this world? The believer in Christ longs for the return of Christ. Question, is that you? I ran out of time because I was overwhelmed by God's word and I felt very inadequate today to come to share. But there is joy and excitement. The section here is that we're looking at for a second is who delivereth us from the wrath to come. Do you believe that there is a wrath to come? God says very clearly we've all sinned. And you know what happens? God is obligated. He is, he can't help it. He has to punish sin. There's no choice. Because of his holiness, he has no choice but to punish sin. But there's a problem. He loves his creation. So he has to somehow create a way by which he can rescue people. And he rescues people in this way. We're going to look at 
the section, this passage, which is very familiar. John 3, 16, eight, uh, 16 through 18. We're going to look at this whole passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn from there and we're going to see what's happened. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you notice right there that if you don't believe, you're perishing? I think of this little short verse when people were coming up to Christ Oh, I, I'm going to follow you, but first let me go bury so-and-so. And you know what Jesus' words were? Let the dead bury the dead. Wait a minute, these are alive people, but he sees them what? As dead. So the point is very clear that those who do not believe in Christ are already dead. Verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he sent his son so that we wouldn't be condemned. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned, what? Already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Dear church, I don't know where you're at. And you need to think about that if this is not you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're highly favored. The Thessalonian church in action could not help but share the gospel and look forward to the Lord's return. Are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you under his wrath and condemned? Or have you made a decision to believe? Christ is the provision. He is the payment for our sin. Because the word makes it very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To the unbeliever here, if there is any of you who do not believe, what keeps you from receiving Christ? Is there anything that should be, get in the way of receiving him? Nothing. This concludes my message today. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and love. And I thank you that you gave me the privilege to share your word today. And I pray, Father, that you would be touching the hearts of those who, one, don't know you. The fact that you hate sin and you're obligated to, to pay for, to punish sin. But secondly, I pray for those who maybe are kind of waffling in their sin. They're, not, they're just not clear. I pray that you would 
renew them of heart and spur them on, Father. And that yet they also have a responsibility to do something about it, Father. Father, I pray for these things. And I pray that you would bless this congregation today. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.